Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Well, today we'll talk to a guy we'll just call Daniel, and our topic of discussion is how do you grow solid movement leaders? To follow up with online training, Daniel recommends e3partners.org. So Daniel, um, you, you brought a couple of guys with you for this interview. Um, tell, us, uh, tell us why. Well, I've, they're some of my heroes, really. And I mean, I, I had the privilege of getting to train early on some, some of what they're doing. But, you know, I learn a lot from both Dane, who's joining us from Tulsa, and Than, who's joining us from Southeast Atlanta and Clarkston, because they're both leading residencies in the United States right now that are really strategically serving the work that a lot of us in No Place Left in Asia are doing. So I'm currently stateside for COVID, but I'm usually based in Southeast Asia. And these are the guys I call when I'm like, hey, you know, can you connect with this guy or this guy? He wants training in the States. And, and I have a lot of trust in their ability to not just train, but, but to coach others on how to pursue no place left in their local area. And then to even follow that back through Oikos, if it leads them even back overseas. And, and we'll get to hear some of their story as well as how that's happened. What was it about these guys that made you want to say, hey, I should reconnect and stay in touch? Well, you, you do a training and what, what happened, I think, in Tulsa was there was a guy named Brian King who you've interviewed and a guy named Troy Cooper who you've interviewed and they they wanted to, they did one big training and they were like we need to split this up into smaller trainings and and somehow i got assigned this church near nearby where i where dane is in leadership and and i was doing a training there and so that's dane dane was no well a the senior pastor said hey dane is really running with this and the the, the senior pastor has an apostolic bent and he said, when you're not here after the training, Dane's the one that's doing a lot and driving a lot of this at our local church. So I think you should get more time with Dane was one thing that happened. So I was kind of had my ear on the ground with the senior pastor. But then the other side was Dane was the one calling and asking questions and who was really executing on this idea of, hey, I don't want to just receive the training. I want to pass it on to others while taking them into the harvest with me to engage lostness. And so I heard, I saw radical obedience right away in Dane's life and, you know, also in Dan's life. Okay. Um, well, well, we'll pick on, on Dane for a little while. Dane, um, what, what was going on for you at the, at, at this time? I had just got exposed to some of the no place left trainings, the discipleship making church planning movement training stuff. And it just captured my heart. I, it had been, in, God dropped it in my heart several years previous to do church planting in Asia. And I really committed my life to it, but hadn't had any tools or teaching or, ex, or exposure to how to do that. So I was just kind of bumbling around with the best I knew how to do. And my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, was 
um, in Tulsa here. I was actually in Kansas City and she had gone through this training and got so excited and was sharing pieces of it with me. And as I started using some of the gospel tools and these things, I just saw an increase of fruitfulness in my own personal ministry. So I was visiting or maybe had just moved down because we had gotten engaged. And I got to come, actually, it was the last day of a four fields training they were doing. So I came in late and I got the overview of everything. And then I just started saying, hey, this is awesome. This is biblical. This is simple. I think I can do this and reproduce it. And so I started field testing it and just using these tools and this strategy in my own spheres of influence and started seeing God produce fruit. So I connected um, pretty quick to this and was uh, very excited to have a strategy and a clear strategy and some clear tools to apply that were producing fruit. And what was what was Daniel doing to help you get started and sort of help you sustain and, and, and stay on this? They're in the original coaching team and then was just available to me when I call. And I actually got a lot of invitations from him to join different work that he was doing. So whether it was a mid-level gathering that I was actually not technically supposed to go to because I hadn't fulfilled the requirements or whether it was a trip to join him in Southeast Asia to do some training over there. Um, I just got invites from Daniel and was hungry just to follow whatever leads and whatever open doors were there. So a lot of invitation was one. And then just a lot of coaching, as he had said, where I'd call him and be like, Hey man, this is what's happening. This is awesome. Or what do I do about this? And he was available to give a lot of just a lot of clear strategy and a lot of clear wisdom in how to move forward. Nathaniel, what, what about for you? I work for Global Frontier Missions um, and uh, uh, Grant um, had, had like a, a meeting um, for, uh, for our team. And, uh, and Daniel was there and he was kind of casting vision to us um, just about no place left. So that was the first time I heard about it um, was I was invited to this meeting um, this, uh, yeah, Grant was going to bring in, um, a guy to just kind of cast a vision. So I went to that and, um, and yeah, I thought it was great. Didn't really know what to expect, but we got, uh, Daniel, uh, did a, did a training him and a couple guys did a training here in Atlanta. Um, so went to the training, um, thought it was good. Uh, it took a couple of, a couple of times me getting the training, uh, to kind of get the overall picture. Um, so it took me a couple of trainings that I was, uh, that I was invited to. And shortly after that, um, I'm, I'm not sure why he kept invite, uh, invite me to stuff, but he invited me to a couple other trainings, um, in the Atlanta area. And I was able to train a couple. Um, that's kind of how that started. Just, uh, you know, he reached out to me after the training, uh, to come to this next training. And it seemed like he was always, uh, yeah, um, bringing me the next step or another opportunity coming up. Daniel, why, why were you um, tracking with with Than at this stage? And in a similar way, Grant, who heads up his organization, was saying, you know, Than, just like Dane's pastor was telling me, he was saying, you know, behind the scenes, when you're not here, Than's really driving stuff. And he's, And I said, Grant, who is it that you would like me to get time with based on what you're seeing happen? And he said, well, definitely Than. And I said, I said, I know you're coaching Than on a number of things, but like, what would you like me to help with? And he said, if you could just help Than become the best trainer in our organization, I would love that. And I said, 
that's awesome because Than is is an incredible trainer. And that became really clear. It really catalyzed for me when he came to Asia and trained is just seeing him work cross-culturally. I was like, man, God has gifted this guy as, as a communicator and as someone that that people even cross-culturally want to be influenced by um, in Asia. And so that was a big piece, but then faithfulness locally to go out in the harvest right away and just engage in what is, I mean, how would you describe Clarkston then um, in a few words? Yeah. Uh, Clarkston is the, uh, the most diverse square mile in the United States. So, um, you know, over, uh, over 120 different people groups just in this, in this square mile, uh, 90 of them are unreached people groups. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's really diverse. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's been like this for, uh, since the nineties. Yeah. And, and, and you were just demonstrating faithfulness in the harvest and even sort of catching a vision for reproducing the training and then you would do it. So I remember you started training a Vietnamese church and you started training all of the, the students that were coming through the ministry and, and you were the first one that really in Atlanta caught the vision for residency and the role it could play. And you started, you started investing time in that. So that was a big piece. So, so Daniel, what's sort of emerging is, is back in the day when this was sort of beginning, you're a practitioner who's training widely. Yeah. And you're looking for those, as you train, you're looking for guys like this who step up and start doing stuff mm-hmm. in the field and also have the ability to draw others in. You're giving them time and mm-hmm. you're doing things like, well, let's let's go to Southeast Asia and see how you go yeah. there. Um, mm-hmm. And you're available. And But part of the reason you're available is you can see what, these guys are doing what God's doing in them, and you're fanning that. Is that right? I th- I think you said it really well, Steve. And you know, we talk a lot about faithful, available, teachable, um, in what we're looking for and folks to invest in. Because I mean, training a lot. Some folks will, will will say things about training, like, well, it's not effective for this reason or that reason, as far as event training. But you know, there's three ways to find really great co-laborers a you share the gospel and they come from the harvest b you train and c you you network and by you know going around and asking questions among believers in a community to figure out what they're already doing and i and i think for these guys it's been a combination of all three with me because we've done all three a lot over the years in different ways and um, and I and I would just affirm that, but it's been a uh, the idea, and we talk about this a lot with our national partners in in Asia of a John fourteen twelve mentality, where it's like I really believe these guys are going to see greater things than me, just like Jesus was praying that for his disciples. Um, you know, back in the day, I had the privilege of getting to train them, but I really at this point see them as peers that I get to learn from and run with. Even if even when I am based in Southeast Asia and they're on the other side of the world, I know and I love this about No Place Left and all the guys who are running No Place Left is that we're running the same vision 
to see every people in place engaged by the gospel by multiplying disciples and churches and leaders. But we're also using the same operating system in terms of the five parts of entry, gospel, discipleship, church, and leadership that we illustrate with the four fields. And so knowing whenever I, whenever Than or, or Dan would come to Asia, I knew they had this foundational understanding, but more than that, not just understanding, but practice. And so when I introduced them to national partners, I could say, look, they're not just coming here to train you on this. They're doing this at home. And right away, it was just, it was amazingly fruitful and, and helpful even is what the national partners were saying in Asia. Like we want trainers like this to come and train us because they're, they had stories of engaging lostness at home in, in their context. And, and I think that ethos and no place left of yes, having the same operating system, but also being practitioners at home, because we believe that that's the way we can truly impact the nations in the long run is, is a heart I share with these guys. And what they're becoming now is some, I believe, some of the best mobilizers of missionaries who've practiced at home first that I, that I know. And so that's one of the privileges I, I have of knowing these guys is they're running these residencies with the intent of raising up local practitioners who are planning churches locally, some of which have a heart to then go and work among the nations. One thing that keeps popping up is this trip to uh, Southeast Asia. So why was that so significant? For me, that was, that was the deal breaker for me. That was the game changer. I, you know, I gotten trained in the U.S. and was practicing and seeing some fruit, but to go over to a harvest field that is supremely plentiful was one of the coolest things. And to see the impact of what it was when we could pull together some leaders that are doing this stuff in another country, train them, and then go with them and or send them and start seeing the fruit from those trainings, immediately things multiplied by 10 or 20 times. And this was in an unreached area. Sometimes we're interacting with people from UUPGs and to see the fruit just explode. I just thought, man, this is so fun. This is so easy. And this is so significant to be practicing myself and doing it in my area that God's given me. But to come into this area and see the gospel explode among an, among an unreached people group, it was a deal breaker. I said, this is game over for me. If I can invest in the most fruitful harvest field, uh, let me go. Let me go. So many people come to faith. So many leaders get trained to train. So I knew that not only are people coming to Jesus, but people there's long-term people on the ground already in discipleship networks. There's already churches that have been established and churches being established. So it wasn't just about the just the dozens and of people I was seeing coming to Jesus, but it was I knew that there was a strategy to continue to build and mature these people and disciple them and train them to go out. That this was just going to keep cascading and multiplication. Remember uh, when I as as uh, the last couple of days, um, I was like I I want to want to be doing this. Um, I want to be doing this. Uh, yeah, I want to be coming back more for trainings and things like that. So, so two things changed, uh, everything, what Dane said, uh, I, I, I'd say as well. Um, I'd say from there, I started, um, 
uh, doing a residency. Um, so that was uh, working working with uh, with a group of people in the evenings, three times a week, um, doing you know uh, doing trainings and and house church and us uh, and going out um, and and then at the end of the residency, sending them out to different um, to different areas, whether it's back home or or overseas. And then the other one was I wanted to I was like ask, praying for God to give me opportunity um, to continue to go back. Um, so so I, I, I live in a, a very diverse area with refugees from different areas and and wanting to partner with people from from those areas uh, and doing the work um, in those unreached places where they're from. So I actually got to partner with the pastor here from from Southeast Asia and talk through the four fields and the strategies. And now, and now he sends me back to his network um, from where, um, from Southeast Asia and, and kind of has it all mapped out for me. And I've been doing four fields uh, through that. So that wouldn't have happened uh, if, if uh, I didn't have the vision and me seeing the vision uh, on that first trip helped me as I went out um, uh, to that, uh, yeah, to the other country. So, um, when I first went there, it was, it was me and Grant and a couple other, uh, couple other people. Um, we went there, they had one, they had one church and they had seven missionaries or seven, uh, people raised up in their church to go, um, to go into different villages and stuff. And, and, uh, they were doing a lot of sharing the gospel and, um, a little bit of discipleship, but it was mostly a lot of just sharing the gospel, which is great. Uh, but after that trip, um, they caught the vision of, oh, this is, this is, uh, this is something that I can understand and see. Um, so from that, we go back, uh, three months later and there was 16 churches that have started. And then another three months, they, they were up to 27 churches. Uh, in just the six months, and uh, and and they're they're at they're at twenty seven churches now, um, and uh, and that happened just from just from sh- doing four fields, just from uh, um, going and training them a couple of times, and still coaching, you know, from stateside a little bit through through calls and stuff like that. But but their hearts were they they wanted to to make um, yeah make make their country um a country that knew christ um and they were they were adamant about going and, and sharing and and raising up new leaders tell us a bit about residencies well i think given how faithful they were and just seeing the vision that the holy spirit had birthed in them i just suggested it basically as a way to get a more captive audience for them to reproduce themselves where for years in Atlanta, I had just been doing, we were calling them training churches and they didn't necessarily have an end date or as much of a commitment. And I said, guys, I'm, I'm seeing some other guys in the U.S. do this where they're, people are actually committing to six months or, or nine months and saying, I want to be, be committed to learning the four fields and practicing it in a rhythm of accountability where we're modeling church together in a way that we can then reproduce it in the harvest. And so we just, we cast vision for it and, and discussed it. But then these guys really brought flesh to it. And that's, you know, I think over the years, listening to guys like, one thing I learned from Ying Kai is he said, you know, good leaders are going to take a concept and because they're smart and the Holy Spirit's gifted them with creativity, they're going to put their own, um, they're going to own it and they're going to be smart enough to implement it on their own. So the, the beauty with Dan and Dane is, 
they they owned it and have made it like you go and participate in Dane's residency, it's going to look different than Dan's. But, you know, they're learning from each other. And and really, I think fishing through a lot of leaders that they're finding and training and, and ending up with some really great co-laborers locally. But I'd love each of you guys to spend a little time, maybe Dane first, like what how has the residency served? And I know your residency is unique in that it's in partnership with a legacy or or traditional church. Um, Thans is more of a coalition style residency that's not attached to a traditional church. But can you speak a little bit about what that's looked like for you? I think you might be starting a new one tonight. Yeah, just in about uh, 15, 20 minutes, I'll be uh, giving the kickoff for the next uh, residency uh, rhythm I'm doing. So we've done two here um, in Tulsa connected with this legacy church called Believer's Church. They got trained with the principles. They got exposed. They loved it. They wanted to do it, but they didn't have anybody. So I was the one who emerged, as Daniel said. And when I came back and said, hey, I would love to do this thing called residency. I'd love to pull people from the church who are interested to learn what it's like to share the gospel and begin to make disciples and go on this journey of planting churches. Um, both for anyone in the church, but I, I, I opened it up to anyone in the city. And, and my legacy church was really cool with that, to be open-handed, to say, this is something that we can, we love and, and we can bless. And whoever wants to be a part of it can. It wasn't branded as specifically this church, although we got the benefit of some of the resources of, of the um, legacy church. And so I did two nine-month stints um, where it's just kind of these exposure ones. And most people who went through the first one wanted to keep going and go through the second one and just get more and more training. Um, But the impact that it had on the people who went through, I'll just speak to that first, is a lot of people have a desire to share the gospel and they have have a yearning to do that, but there's a lot of fear. And the residency is a cool platform because it's an intentional place where they know that they're gonna be trained in this stuff And it's a community of people going out together to share the gospel. So something about the training and the community support, it was like, yo, we're scared, but let's go be scared together and do this and see what God does. And to the resident, I do exit interviews at the end. All of them, I I ask them what their best memory was. And it's always, we're out in the, it's always about the harvest field, some engagement in the harvest field. But also more than just the individuals, it started to catalyze stories of people coming to Jesus and started creating some excitement in the legacy church, where now the whole missions board has come around this idea and actually has seen it as a viable platform for training our missionaries. So we're able to have this as a training track in-house to train and equip missionaries that come through Believer's Church. And we begin to partner with the MPL Global Harvest and some of the hub, the hub churches um, internationally, and specifically throughout Asia for us, um, where we can start sending teams now over to Asia. They get the same experience that Than and I did, and they, they're blessing and equipping the harvest um, overseas. But then we come back with all that heat and all that energy and all those testimonies and all that excitement And that just continues to fuel the mission of the local church to want to adopt new apartment complexes or new neighborhoods that have been hard to reach and send these um, residents that are committing nine months to go for it. Uh, We're doing a a four month. Um, So every four months we have a different one. 
Um, so actually, it'll be twice a year that we actually do it. Um, so I'm doing my fourth uh, this go round, and uh, my experience is there's a lot of people that want to want to uh, eventually go overseas or want to live more missional, but not everyone can do that full time. So we, uh, as an organization, uh, we wanted to uh, get the people that that um, yeah that have full time jobs, but they want to um, uh, continue to grow and and reach their neighbors. Uh, so our experience is a lot of, a lot of people, um, there's some people that we get that are, are just learning how to, uh, you know, feel comfortable in sharing the gospel and, and start discipleship. And there's some people that are going through it and they're like, Hey, after this, we want to, we, we're, we want to go overseas. This is, we want to learn practical steps and going, um, and being sent overseas. So, um, from this, we've, we, uh, there's been people that are, um, are about to um, be sent overseas in different areas. Um, a couple of them kind of similar to Daniel kind of uh, pulling me and Dane, a couple of them been able to come overseas and, and seen some of the, of uh, the uh, no place left uh, trainings that we've done. And, and now they've caught a vision for when they, for when they move over um, see. So um, yeah, uh, every, every four months, um, We'll get a, a new group. And these this is the hopes. The hopes is afterwards, um, they feel equipped and ready to go overseas. Some of them um, want to re, redo the residency again. And when they redo it, we give them a more of a leadership role. So it's like, you know, um, every other week or whatever that looks like, you know, they're going to be leading and taking on a lot of that responsibility. Um, and some of them, I'm like, hey, take this back um, to your church or your neighborhood. So some people go back and they start a residency in their neighborhood, um, whether that's one, two or three nights a week kind of depends on, on, um, you know, you know, uh, where they live and stuff. But that's kind of that's kind of the hopes is that they continue it. And it's not just a four month thing, but they continue it in in their own area afterwards. In terms of the residency, it provides the space to actually coach people through their challenges uh, on a regular basis. and. And when we, when, whenever I train the four fields, I learned this from Kumar, but I always train 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9, as well as the traditional Mark 4 parable of the, the, you know, the growth happening. But in Mark, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 9, it says, I planted, Paul speaking, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And he who plants and he who waters one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And we, we always train that at the front end of a four fields training because we want to say, look, it's not the tools. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. And that's why when we see this growth happening in the four fields parable, that that's God's work. And what I saw in both of these guys and what I get the privilege of seeing in other guys in Asia is this vision that the Holy Spirit has birthed in them that I believe will have them doing greater things than me and that I can just say, wow, God, thank you for letting me get to be a part of their lives and what you're doing through them and what your spirit's doing. And at a really practical level, I'd say Maul has been a backbone. And, you know, my mentor always hits Maul because it's his, he calls it his hedgehog principle. And, Whenever we get stuck, we come back to this principle of, hey, first, I'm going to model it. 
and I'm going to show it to you and you're going to watch me do it. And then once, once we do that, I'm going to help you do it. Like you're, you're doing it, but I'm here with you and we're doing it together. So I'm free to correct you. I'm free to direct. I'm free to help. And, and, and that's the, 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 uh, the assist is the hardest part. So first I'm modeling it, but the assist is when it really is more of an art because now you're having to work with someone who's teachable enough to let you correct them. And, and you're having to kind of step in and be willing to make some corrections. Right. And, and then the third step is, is to, to watch where you're really just encouraging and saying, Hey, you got this right. Um, and then finally is to, to leave that skill behind. And it's not that the relationship ends, we're taking that individual skill and mauling it. So for me, this looks like two really practical ways that, that this, that this rolls out. And, and we were just talking about this, this, that this afternoon, Than and I were, but the first is that we'll talk about three touches of training where we'll model, assist, and watch bringing others along. Like I brought Than and Dane along as we did four fields, which I call the practices of multiplication. And then we did the intensive, which I call the principles of multiplication. And we mauled through that together, both locally in the States and cross-culturally in another culture. And at that point, they were really solid on it. And they could teach this stuff in their sleep, really. And we did the same thing with our national partners in, in like Cambodia, for example. And and, and through that process, the, the guy who's being mauled starts to own it because I'm asking questions like, how would you change this to make this relevant for your culture or for your place you're working in Clarkston, Than? You know, how would you change this? And, and it becomes their own. Um, it, has, it has its own flavor. So that's the first way that I use maul a lot is through rolling out, you know, the practices, principles, and then ultimately we even roll out the problem solving coaching of multiplication. And, and so we're mauling through those events and those tools. But I'd say once you get past that, then it really becomes about coaching mall in terms of generations, where when Dan and I are having a conversation, we were just doing this today, I'm asking him about the folks he's assisting. So he's modeling for folks and he's assisting them and he's training them to also model and assist. And as they do that, he's watching. So at generation one, you know, Than's modeling. At generation two, he's assisting. And at generation three, he's watching. And if you get to the fourth generation of leader or church or disciple, if you're doing anything, we're not talking about fourth generation here, right? And so when, when, we, when we coach our national partners on that in Asia, it's just been really clear to say, look, what are you doing at generation one? You're, you're modeling. What are you doing at generation two? You're going with your leader to help them at generation two, right? And at generation three, you're, you're watching. You shouldn't be doing anything but encouraging. And, and all of this is undergirded by that John 14, 12 principle of greater things. Because if that leader at the third generation sees you show up, and this is a huge thing in Asia where the older guy is just always revered and respected and they, they want to hand the reins to him. But talking to um, Peter, who's this network leader in Cambodia, I think the last time I was on with you, Steve, was beginning of, I think, 2018. And I think we had 27 churches at the time. But as Peter has, you know, indigenized the training through 
me mauling through it with him. And now he has his own version of the practices of four fields and his own version of the principles. He's mauled through that um, training cycle. And now he's coaching his Timothy's and he's saying, Hey guys, what are you, who are you assisting? And I'm asking him, who are you assisting? And we're looking at his one, three, nine, his, his, the, the three that he's coaching and the three that they're coaching and saying, what is it that you need to assist them in next? What is it that you need to watch this guy do next? And one of the most crucial questions has been, how does that leader feel when you're visiting their church? And if, if you pop into their church and that's a generation three church, what should they be feeling when you're present? And, and he goes, well, he calls his ne- network the next generation network of Cambodia. And he says, well, I want them to feel more empowered to, to do everything than me. And I want them, even though that's countercultural, I want that for them. And I think that's one of the reasons why that, that give it away mentality of I'm going to maul it so that they can own it and they can do greater things than me is what, that's what I'm seeing in Than's life. That's what I'm seeing in Dane's life. And I'm seeing it in Peter's life and the soils are all different, but like in Cambodia, that's resulted in, we went from 27, I think last time we talked to now there's 11 provinces with four, fourth generation churches. Um, there, there, there's over 350, 376 was the last number that they were showing me, but it's like the power of coaching a few, once you find them through that training, that harvest time and that networking piece that you're talking about. If you're enjoying the Movements podcast, Don't forget to leave a review or spread the word through social media or a thumbnail dipped in tar. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.